0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of The Big Life. And Jordan, there are 32 women's soccer programs still training in the country, and you are speaking to members of two of them. So Jordan, you're still alive, survived in advance? How's
1: it feel? Survive in advance. It felt great. We had a pretty dominant performance, I would say, 3 nothing over Ohio um, on DeMartin. So it was a really nice closeout to that chapter of the season, last home game. Always sad to say goodbye to that. But uh, we're really looking forward to getting to Harvard and or getting to Utah, BYU, and playing Harvard this Thursday. So we're getting on a flight tomorrow. We're chartering there and uh, we'll be there hopefully thursday and saturday to play those two games and be in the final eight as we head out the week into the college cup
0: It's crazy it's crazy man we are also still alive we beat bucknell 2-0 it was a bit of a weird game in a sense uh bucknell is very good at defense we got 31 shots off i think and the game still went to ot because we couldn't finish So we love a good OT game. Apparently Iowa just is really thriving on some overtime recently and scored in the first overtime and then got a closing goal in the second overtime to close it out 2-0. Last game officially on my home field. We got rid of the ugly crying from a month ago. Uh, Did an ugly cry this time. I think I was just so grateful because on top of everything, we broke the attendance record for Iowa soccer history. So 2,700 people braved about 30 degrees to go out and sport Iowa soccer and seeing our fans filled all over the place, cheering, screaming everywhere. I mean, it was just, it was the perfect game to go out on, to like go out on some history and first ever NCAA tournament game played in Iowa or played on Iowa's field, 2,700 or 2,700, yeah, people there to watch. And I mean, just takes your breath away. And so, yeah, it's crazy. And now... Thinking about flying out to South Carolina soon and playing Georgia. So super excited for the next challenge ahead. And, you know, I think we're both on the verge of history for our programs. I know if Iowa beats Georgia on Friday when we play, we make it to the first ever Sweet 16 in Iowa soccer history. So can't wait for that and excited for the challenge.
1: Yeah, same here. Uh, This is the fourth time we've ever, ever made the tournament. And if we win our game on Thursday, it'll be the first time we ever made it to the third round. Well, we are both still in it, I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room. Our last guest, Allie Cook, UCLA falls in the first round. It's one of
0: those, like, where were you when it happened kind of thing. Like, where were you when you saw that UCLA got upset? For me, don't listen to those coaches. I was in the McDonald's parking lot with my mom. Um, Yeah, a little post-game tradition there. But yeah, I mean, I think that proves that when you enter the tournament, you hear it, people say it, but it's true. Everyone has a chance and everyone starts out zero and zero. And I mean, shout out to UC Irvine. First of all, front of the pod, Scott Juniper, we love you. And we're very, very happy for you. But on top of that, in 2021, they upset UCLA in the first round. And 2022, they upset seeded USC in the first round. And then in 2023, they upset reigning champs UCLA in the first round. So UC Irvine, how are you prepping for the NCAA tournament? And we would love to hear.
1: It sounds like they got to stop being seated so low. Like if they're upsetting all these number one teams, (laughs) bump them up a bit, right? Like this is insane.
0: I think the bigger elephant in Jordan and I's life is how somehow we both have become very, very envious of the Nebraska soccer program in the Big Ten (laughs) Because both Michigan State, Iowa, and Nebraska were five seeds going into this NCAA tournament. Yet somehow, with everything that happened on their side of Nebraska, Nebraska is a five seed is hosting round two. So whereas we closed out our home games, Nebraska as a five seed gets to play a couple more there.
1: So incredibly jealous. Like you they had to have two upsets, right? In order to yeah, do that.
0: So the so out of the 32 soccer games played on in the first round for, for 64 teams there were two upsets. So 30 out of 32 seeded teams made it to the next round. Both of them were in that side of the bracket. So UC Irvine upset UCLA 1-0 on an 85th minute goal and Tennessee upset Xavier 1-0 in an overtime goal. And first of all, huge shout out to the Tennessee goalkeeper who I believe had 41 shots from Xavier.
1: I Not got to watch sure that how game. Many on
0: goal, but balled out and yeah, so now Tennessee, Gonzaga, UC Irvine are all headed to Nebraska for the second round.
1: Yeah, I watched the Tennessee Xavier game. I mean, it was, that was crazy. That goalie needs a raise, something, get her an NIL deal or something. Uh, That was a very, very impressive performance. 41 shots is an insane stat to come away. With zero goals, unfortunately. But yeah, it's been it's been a crazy first round of the College Cup here.
0: Let's talk about it a little bit. I feel like there might be some general overall confusion of how the structure of the college tournament works. So we talked about it last week. Going into round one, you have your various seats. I believe someone correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Thirty-one automatic bids from the different com- conferences within the us in division one soccer so every single conference gets an auto bid and it's based on the conference how they determine that most people do a conference tournament others don't have a conference tournament and just the regular season champs get that auto bid for the big 10 as we know it's the conference tournament so iowa had the auto bid for the big 10 then for the rest of the team so the other 33 teams that get into the tournament it's at large bids, so it's looking at your rpi your resume all these different things to figure out who the 64 teams competing are from there they then in the first round they seed every team or the top 32 teams one through eight in the different brackets and that's where the first game was held so as i said we were both five seeds against our respective opponents so they played at michigan state we played at iowa so now that we're going into round two and this is one thing I'd love your hot take on Jordan is we're going around to and out of your little bracket of four teams that play or four teams that won. So for our example, it's Iowa versus Georgia and then Columbia versus Clemson. We all go to Clemson because they're the highest seed left. They were the one seed. So we all go to Clemson and on Friday for us, we will play against Georgia. And then the winner of that game plays Sunday against the winner of Clemson and Columbia. The crazier thing here, Jordan, is all season, you get a Thursday-Sunday turnaround. So we play on Thursday, we play on Sunday. And now, in the round of 32, we play on Friday, and the Sweet 16, we play on Sunday. So you get a one-day turnaround between those games. What is your hot take on this one-day turnaround?
1: I think it's dumb. I I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. The fact that you would train all year for a uh, Thursday-Sunday matchup and then to shrink this late into the season, after you've been training all year, you have games. It's not like we had an extended amount of recovery time um to go into this. Your body's at the end of this long, long journey. And now you're decreasing the recovery time between games. I think it's more of a it takes the game and it makes it more of a judge on how deep your bench is rather than how necessarily good your starting eleven or your your normal starters would be or your sixteen, however deep you normally go. Um, It forces you, I think, to go a lot deeper and manage games differently. And I don't know if that's necessarily a true idea of the way you've been playing all season, like how good a team actually is. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't see any reason why they couldn't make it Thursday, Sunday still. I I, I don't know. I don't know if there's what the reasoning behind that decision is. But yeah, it just it doesn't make much sense. It's weird. It changes things a lot. You know, that that extra day makes a huge difference in the recovery process. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for us. We've never been in that scenario. So hopefully we get to find out, but yeah, it's, it's a strange decision.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the last time I had a Friday, Sunday turnaround was my freshman year. And that was when they were slowly starting to try to get rid of these Friday, Sunday turnarounds. And if I'm right, one of the main reasons that happened is we were supposed to play Thursday, Sunday, but there was a hurricane at the time and the game got postponed to Friday like it was a freak of a situation. And so, yeah, I mean, when you're looking at players that have already played 22 games in a season, and now they're going on 23 with a one day turnaround. It's a lot. Um, It's a lot on a player and I agree it's going to be how deep is your bench and. How willing are you to fight through some pain? Cause there's going to be soreness and fatigue and it's going to be interesting. I think it kind of creates a lack of a true talented winner. Like you said, sometimes it plays an Iowa soccer's advantage. So I'm not going to complain to it, but we'll figure it out. And that's just what it is, but it is a really, really interesting aspect of the game.
1: Yeah, the other thing that comes into play is your postseason. Now you have overtime and you go to penalty kicks where throughout the whole rest of the season, you just end in a tie after 90 minutes. So not only are you shrinking that recovery time, but there's potential of you adding on significant minutes to each game. Um, Well,
0: there's also like so much like I've been thinking about this lately and like the joke is like, dang, like winning the Big Ten tournament is only worth it when you win the Big Ten tournament. Like I feel bad for a team that like makes it to the final plays those extra games that they're like, you didn't play. You made it to the big 10 tournament. Obviously I know you didn't want to lose first round. Don't get me wrong, but now that's two less games that you have on your body than I will Wisconsin do. And so it's kind of, it's a weird situation to be in when like, like, Oh wow. Like, you know, I am feeling really fatigued right now. And there's a lot, you know, there's injuries within our team as everyone has, but it's a whole new degree when you add, games and minutes on and so you know like even my coach looked at me today he's like you have a lot of miles on those tires and I was like yeah like I'm feeling it man and so it's it's a tough situation to be in for everyone involved and it's definitely going to turn into how fast can you recover how badly do you want it and a lot of factors like that
1: absolutely I mean we were in that scenario last year where we made it to the final and then unfortunately lost to Penn State I think you definitely felt it going into the tournament where this year I hate the fact that we lost right obviously but you're going to take advantage of that and kind of start to look at it as a positive as you go into the NCAA tournament where we did have a lot of extra recovery time and we got to really focus on just getting back and in, into soccer, right? Figuring it all out as we go into the postseason and kind of having that reset where normally you wouldn't get one.
0: Well, Vernon, we have a very interesting guest on this week's episode of the podcast. And I know it's something that you felt Almost targeted a little deeply, so I'd love to hear a bit more about your weekend in the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I absolutely love what Monica had to say. Um, it's an amazing episode, and I highly recommend everyone to stay tuned and continue to listen to to her interview here. But as you were going off and kind of winning the Big Ten tournament, I had a very very different scenario going on back here at Michigan State where. Right before the first round of the NCAA tournament, I had conversations with my coach where my role was being challenged. Kind of one of the, if you go back to episode three, we talked about how I started off the season pretty rough coming off of an injury. Eventually, I did work myself into the starting lineup, starting with the Notre Dame game. And I stayed in it um, all the way until the end of season and right before the NCAA tournament. And it was kind of one of my prouder accomplishments of the season was being able to fight into it. And it was a role that I had begged for for three years, right? Um, You know, I was always trying to advocate being like, I'm good enough to be out here, especially after last year's performance. Um, And I felt like I earned it and I deserved it. And I worked really hard for it. And then going into the most important games of the season, I find out that that role has been taken. Um, I'm no longer going to be that person. And it was really, really hard to hear. Um, you know, it's it's devastating news for any player. You work so hard to get to that point and then to find out that it's gone. Um, it's something that was really hard to process. So I've kind of went through all those emotions before the game. We went out there and it's something you still like there's so many things that go into it. You know, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm embarrassed, quite frankly, that it had to come to that, that my performance wasn't good enough. I'm, you know, just figuring all that out still. Um, You know, I think I went through a majority of it where I can sit back now and, and kind of redefine my role. Uh, it's something that I'm, you know, not new to last year. I was in this scenario a lot. So going back into it, it, isn't that hard I know what to do what is expected of me now and and how to fulfill this role coming in off the bench but it's not a scenario I wanted to be in and I think the biggest thing I took away from it was was that I used to view this all as kind of a job where Jeff was my boss and I was an employee and you don't do your job you get fired and that made things a little bit easier because it was super straightforward and simple and it was less personal and as you kind of go through this I realized that this is extremely personal what's different than a job is that for a job you get to walk away from it and go home and live your life and you have that separation for this and for this lifestyle it is so much more than that where it is your everyday who you are as a person is what lets you have success on the field Um, it's all encompassing and i think that's what's been preached to us throughout the year that's the type of people that are recruited at this level if you want to be At the top, you want to be at the best. You can't just like it. You can't just even love it. You have to live it. And when you have that, all those decisions that are made, all who you are as a person, I mean, it's a huge part of who you are is defined by you being an athlete, you being a soccer player. And it shouldn't be everything, but it's a huge part when you're in it, when you're in this college years, when you're in these moments. Um, And that makes all of this stuff a little bit more personal. That's why you are feeling things so deeply. And when you take a step out, it seems kind of silly how emotional you can get over a decision like whether or not you're starting. For me, starting's never been about the role or the position, but the ability for me to control my own destiny, where if I'm playing well, I get to control those minutes and stay on the field. Um, If I'm playing poorly, then, you know, that's on me to get taken off the field in those moments where now when you're coming off the bench, you no longer have any control over any of that um i played 60 70 80 90 minutes and then when you're coming in off the bench you know i'm going in at 10 minute mark less than 10 minutes and a half where you're seeing a significant decrease because i no longer have the ability to control those minutes not being a starter so i've learned a lot through the process um it's not something i wish i was in you know scenario wise but it is the reality of this, and I do want to share that side of it because as glamorous as the season has maybe been, and as proud as I am of what the team has accomplished, you know, personally, you still have those struggles, and you still go through it, and you want to have success on a personal level as well as a team level, and unfortunately, those don't always coincide. So, you know, going through it again this year, and uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see what makes of it, but we're looking forward to the Harvard game still, and I still have a lot of soccer left, hopefully, to play this season before we look forward into what this all exactly means to do those kind of end of the year reflections.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've said it before, but I just have to say, thank you so much. Like you coming on here and frankly saying those things and everything is real. And I love that we've made this a place and a space where we can be honest and real and that the gla- life isn't always glamorous. You know, I came off the field on Friday and I think it was probably one of my worst games. And so saying those things out loud is hard and it's embarrassing and it's a lot of things. And so for you being able to be that real is absolutely amazing. And like I said, I didn't plan our guests the way that it happened, but I think it was a great, maybe it was a great message for Jordan to hear as much as everyone else. And Thank you, Monica Wilhelm, for coming on the podcast. I joke about it. Mon- or Jordan's giving me plenty of crap about not bringing on my fair share of guests, but Mon is one that was supposed to come on earlier, but got to come to food poisoning and thought it was worth sharing her journey a second time or yeah, second chance. One interesting thing that I don't think we fully dive into in the interview, and I don't know if we explain enough in Monica's given permission to say this blatantly is in her career, Monica was replaced three different times her junior her senior and her fifth year she was had the chance at the number one for goalkeeping and got the number two or was in the number one and got replaced at the end of the year for postseason or different things like that and so for her to go through that and then have the success that i'll let her share about is absolutely remarkable and i think it's a lesson that we all can learn of you know my biggest takeaway from the interview and i'd love to hear yours jay is who is anyone else to define what you're going to do and what you believe in, in yourself. And it's something that Monica has told me a lot when I'm in my room crying to her about whatever. And it just, it hits really deep. And it definitely, she's amazing and takes my words
1: away. I think I needed this interview, you know, maybe more than anyone else. So if, if no one else gets anything out of it, which I'm sure they will, then this was a big help to me in my personal journey. And the way they coincided, I think is is pretty funny, but it seems like it was meant to be. Um, the success she's had and she's been able to see while still maybe not having as much as she would have liked in college, I think speaks volumes. Her dedication and who she is as a person and her just relentless mentality to just keep grinding and believe in herself no matter what. If no one else is going to believe in her, you know, she was going to and she was going to make it and she was so sure of it. It's inspiring. And, uh, you know, I think it's a message that everyone should hear.
0: Absolutely. So without further ado, Monica Wilhelm. All right, everyone. We are joined by an extremely special guest today, Monica Wilhelm. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, guys. Happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so, Monica, I gotta proclaim—you know, Jordan's been giving me crap for the last couple of weeks about how I've been on a slide on guest, and so when I thought about who I could bring on from my life, Mon was the first person that came to my mind. She has such a unique journey in college soccer, one that I'm blessed to have been on the side of her and next to her through a lot of and. When I thought about our guests and the people that listen to this podcast I just know that it's a story that people may need to hear and it's a different perspective so thanks for letting us dive deep into your journey and I'm excited about it. Of course
2: excited to be here.
0: Okay so a little bit about Monica she played for five years at the University of Iowa graduating last year and then just finished her first ever professional season in Iceland had a great year we'll get more into that but first of all Let's talk a bit. Everyone always wants to know recruiting process. How'd you end up at Iowa? How'd that all
2: happen? Yeah. So I actually played for local clubs growing up. So I didn't play for like a big club until junior year of high school. Um, so I just played for Lindenhurst area soccer club <laughs> up until junior year. And then I knew that I wanted to play in college. And so my coaches were like, all right, like you got to start going to some showcases here and play for a bigger club. And so one of my coaches was like, Hey, try out for FC United. And so I kind of, switched clubs and started going to, you know, bigger showcases just around the country. And then the ID camps that colleges host as well. And I was just trying to put my name out there as much as I could, but I was kind of late in the recruiting process just because it starts so early nowadays. And I mean, even when I was in the recruiting process, it was early. And so a lot of teams had their goalkeepers already, which is even harder because there's only, you know, three to four on a team. And so I was just going to a lot of showcases and Iowa ended up seeing me at one of them that we actually held at FC United and the next week they invited me to one of their camps or they actually saw me in like a tournament in Arizona and then they invited me to one of their camps and then literally within a month it was like bang 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 and I signed to play for Iowa and it was like holy cow, like, how did that come to be? Like, that's where I was like, okay, like, that was all God's doing. Like, he literally answered my dream of wanting to play Big Ten, um, especially for the Hawkeyes. And yeah, it all came together really fast. But it was, there was definitely a time where I didn't, there was like a dry period of not much going on. And then all of a sudden, you know, Iowa came and you just don't lose faith and things turn out the way you hope for.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. For a lot of keepers, were you always a goalkeeper or at what point did you become a goalkeeper?
2: Yeah, so I actually started as like a nine. <laughs> And I would like split time. Um, but my dad and my brother were both goalies in hockey. And my dad was a goalie in soccer as well. And so I was like, okay, like, this has got to be in my blood. <laughs> like, I feel like I need to do this. And so I think I was like 12 when I started playing like half, like halves where you'd split, you'd play on the field and then go in goal. And then eventually I was like, no, nah, I just want to stay back here. Like the whole running thing's not for me. <laughs> I'd rather save the goals instead of score them. Um, And so then, yeah, I just picked it up and never left.
0: (laughs) One reason I really wanted to have you on the pod, Mon, is you're the first ever keeper we've had on the pod. So congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) I know, especially being a goalkeeper in college soccer, kind of, as you already alluded to, it's a different experience in a lot of different ways. Like there's one of you on the field and there may be four to five of you at a roster at a certain point. So coming in your freshman year, especially, you know, I know personally behind a person like Claire Graves, who was a four-year starter for Iowa, what was your expectations and what was your mentality going in your freshman year?
2: Yeah. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to play competitive soccer in college, like D1. I wanted to go Big Ten. And so, you know, you're you're fresh out of high school and you're this little baby, like 18 year old. And I knew that it was going to be challenging and competitive and that I would have to work my way up to the top of what I wanted. I didn't I, like I knew I wasn't just going to come in and and start playing like it was going to it's going to take time because being a goalkeeper is all about experience. But you know, as a freshman, you either get on board or you don't because there's a lot of lessons that you need to learn (laughs) early on. And so I definitely made my share of mistakes like on and off the field. But I think the biggest thing was, was learning from them and growing from them. And I think that's a big thing as a freshman is you go in with these expectations and it's different than what you think, but you really have to like, learn from your mistakes and even the failures and the ups and downs that you go through because that's how you ultimately get better throughout your career as a collegiate athlete
1: yeah absolutely so as you came in kind of that freshman year you were a backup keeper what's the kind of rest of your story look like throughout your five years in in college those awful four and a half with Sam Carey and then you know <laughs>
2: Yeah. So I came in as a freshman and I was behind Claire Graves and there was, um, another junior at the time, Cora Myers. Um, so I was number two, number three, depends. Um, and then sophomore year, I was still kind of behind Claire. So I was number two for the first two years and then junior year, you know, I just kept plugging away, plugging away. And then I started my junior year and then, um, you know, we ended up making a switch, I believe it was junior year 2020, when we ended up making a switch. And then we went on to win um, the Big Ten championship, which was an awesome accomplishment for our team. And then um, my senior and fifth year, it was kind of back and forth between me and another goalkeeper as well. So it wasn't, you know, four and a half years of just like starting the whole time. It was a lot of in and out, in and out. And That takes a lot of toll on any player, you know, because it's just like one second you're playing, one second you're not. And it's like it's hard and it builds like this almost fear of making a mistake because you're like, oh, if I make a mistake, then I'm out. And so there's just like this mental battle that you go through. And I think that's a huge part of my story is just like the mental growth and everything that I had to overcome throughout that process of, you know, being in and then being out and just overcoming all of those obstacles in between as well.
0: Yeah. Let's dive a bit deeper into this. And, you know, at one point, like you said, you had the starting spot. I know your junior year, and that happened to be the year that Iowa soccer had the worst start of Iowa soccer history. And this was by no means Monica Wilhelm's fault. I'm putting that very, very clear out there. She's a phenomenal goalkeeper, but we started off that year. Oh, six and one at the point. And then that's when the other keeper came in and we made a change just because we needed a change clearly at something. So you got that role taken from you. Can you talk a bit more about what that was like and how, you know, that affected you as a player?
2: Yeah, it's hard because I think any athlete would struggle with it because you spend your whole life working so hard for something and then you finally get it and then for it to be taken away, it's it's a hard pill to swallow and it's definitely hard to overcome. And, you know, especially the way that we started, <clears throat> you know, I, I appreciate you saying it wasn't my fault, but you know, it's hard to not put it on yourself too, especially when you get taken out of that position, especially as a goalkeeper, when you're the last line of defense, it's hard to not put everything on yourself as well. And so I was just battling with a lot of emotions of putting the weight of the world on my shoulders. And it was hard. And I was probably in the lowest I've ever been just going through that. And then of course you, you know, you want to, still have that role on the team and have a positive impact. And then, you know, it is hard when, you know, you're so happy that your team wins the championship, but then to have a different role than you thought you would have, like, it's hard, like it's hard to go through. And I just want to be real throughout that because I know there's so many players that experience that same thing as well. But I think that's just such a big thing about knowing what your role is on a team, because, there's so many different roles that a player can have. And I think every single person has one. And no matter whether you're a starter for four years or you've never touched the field, every single role is so vital to the team's success. And I think some people get caught up in your value being found on like how many minutes you play on the field, but it's not like your value isn't based off of what you do on the field. It's who you are as a person and what you bring to the team. And whether you're on the bench or on the field or in the stands or wherever, like you have so much to bring and so much to offer to the team. And that's something that helped me kind of climb out of that hole. And that's something that I had to learn in order to like overcome the mental Trauma, or I guess you would call
1: it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I appreciate you saying all that. Um, I mean, if we're being honest, that's the situation I'm in right now where I started majority of the season and then NCAA tournament hits and I found, you know, my role changing pretty drastically here as we go into the postseason. So, you know, there's it's definitely hard, you know, for you have your team goals and accolades and you want to succeed, but you also have these personal goals that you want to achieve. And ideally, both of them align. But unfortunately, that only happens a very small percent of the time. And being able to manage those expectations while still cheering for your team and wanting to see that success while dealing with your own personal struggles and not seeing that role come to fruition that you would like it to, it's a really, really tough thing to balance. So for you to go through all that and do it and then still come out the other end and decide to take your fifth year at Iowa, what was that decision like?
2: Yeah, so I... I just loved Iowa. (laughs) I loved my teammates. I loved just the community that I was able to build and I knew that I wasn't done there and I knew that the role that I had I wanted to continue whether it was on the field or off the field and I also knew from a really young age that I wanted to play professional soccer and so I needed I needed another year because I just I knew I wasn't mentally ready to take that next step and just graduate my senior year and try to go play pro after that so I think that that final season was really important for me. And I honestly, it was up in the air. I didn't know what was going to be, whether I was going to be the one or the two, but I knew that I was going to give everything that I had to be the one. And if I wasn't, then I wanted to bring as much to my team as I could as the number two. And, you know, that means pushing my teammates pushing the number one and you know your teammates and friends first like every goalkeeper I've ever worked with I've been close friends with because that's so important like we say goalkeeper union for a reason because you know you have your teammates but then the small group of goalkeepers you're just you're a little different (laughs) I think you guys know from the goalkeepers on your team and you have to support each other and you have to uplift each other and be there for each other and that's the most important thing and I'm a firm believer that you know it's not about what you necessarily have but what you make of what you have and so maybe the cards aren't exactly what you want but it's what you do with that and so i just told myself i was going to control everything within my control to be the best that i could be because i knew that if i brought my best self every day then that would ultimately help my team to be the best that they could be because if i could go balls out at practice and be unstoppable then that was making them better because then they had to figure out you know ways to score and then by me pushing myself I'm pushing my other goalkeepers as well like there's so many benefits that we don't think about because we can get so wrapped up in you know those selfish thoughts sometimes and I also think that it's okay to be upset. Like we're human. We're allowed to be upset when life isn't going your way. Like you don't have to be a robot. You can sit in those emotions and show yourself some grace. And then it's about pulling yourself out. Like you can't sit in that forever because your team does need you. Like as much as you need your team, they need you. And I think the most important thing is how you can pull yourself out and surrounding yourself with, community is really important but the decision to pull yourself out of that comes from you and so it has to start with you first and then you know your community can rally around you to help uplift you from there.
0: I think that's a really really great point and something I kind of want to dive deeper to is you're saying so much great stuff and you know this is stuff that I'm sure a lot of players have heard from a coach or another player or whatever but at what point in your career did you start believing it? If you know what I mean, like I can say this to whoever they want that everyone has a role and everything. That and I feel like a lot of players who are in these scenarios are like, okay, yeah, you're just saying that. What made you start embracing that and believing in that?
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> it's hard because it's not very black and white where you're like, all right, on this day, <laughs> this is when I started believing. And it's also hard because a part of this growth journey, there's not going to be a day where you're like, okay, that's the day where I'm going to, I'm going to be better mentally. And I'm like, once this happens, then I'm going to be happy. Like, it's just life doesn't work like that. And you have to take the small victories for what they were. And I think a huge thing for me is gratitude. Like I started focusing more on the gratitude piece than anything else. And that kind of helped me to transition out of, you know, that selfish way of thinking into like that team mentality and so you know I'd wake up and I'd be like okay I woke up today like let's just pause right there that's more than some people could say unfortunately and I woke up with a healthy able body and I woke up with these gifts and abilities that God God has given me to play soccer and to be a leader and be a teammate and I have this amazing team that's my family that I get to fight next to on the field like once I started focusing on those things like I was able to enjoy the journey so much more than the destination that I was getting to. And that's something that, you know, I'm still working through now. Like it's not perfect, but it's gotten better because you have to balance between how can I be proactive and think about the goals that I want to achieve while just enjoying where I'm at right now. And that's something I've come to realize is college went by just like that. It was up and down and I was at the lowest of lows and the highest of highs and It went by so fast and so did my first year in Iceland. And, you know, you look back and I'm like, okay, what now? Like, where am I going next? But it's like, wow, can I just sit back and be thankful for what I just had for the past eight months and the past five years at Iowa? And so we always say like, trust the process, trust the process. And I think sometimes athletes are sick of that, (laughs) like that saying, but it's true. Like you have to enjoy the journey of what you're doing because otherwise you're always going to. Be like, what's next? What's next? And then once you get there, once you get to your destination and your final goal, you're not going to feel fulfilled because you're still going to be in that mentality of what's next. So in order to like experience true, fulfilling joy, you have to enjoy the whole process of being an athlete, which unfortunately comes with highs and lows that we don't always want to experience, <laughs>
1: Absolutely it's definitely not always glamorous but there are some pretty great moments in there throughout these highs and lows that you've experienced what are some moments that you could go yeah like that was that was a high or
2: that was a low? Uh, there's so many it's like hard to even pick Um, I don't know there's just so many team highs that I am just so proud of like I was on the team from 2018 to 2022 and most of the time i was with sam and she knows too like each team was so different (laughs) like so different and so like just the how we changed and how we developed and overcame and you know something we love to say in the IO program is that blue collar mentality and it's true like that's one of the best things about that team is just how we fight and we overcame so many obstacles. And I think COVID was a big one that a lot of people everywhere across the country had to face. And that's just something so unique to our whole career in college was having to go through that and overcome that kind of stuff. And I I think the highs that I think of are like, yeah, there's moments like winning the big 10 and winning big games and stuff like that. But I think the way I've trained myself to think is just how happy I was to be a part of the teams that I was a part of and how I got to wake up every day and go to practice with these girls and go to lift and just live life with them. Like we, it wasn't just on the field. It was everything off the field we were doing together too. And I don't know, it's hard because you remember those big games, but at the end of the day you remember more what goes on like in practice and in life than you really do with those big games. And so I know that doesn't really (laughs) answer the question that much, but I don't know I would just say like the life piece of living and experiencing it with those girls is like one of the biggest highs I'll take from it
0: in our summer grind session never really actually came to fruition
2: yeah when we'd have to like lie about where we were so we could go train with more than just us
0: (laughs) hey we we to abandon high school for COVID it's okay
2: And we were, like, quarantined every, like, you were in quarantine for two weeks and then freedom for a week and then quarantine for two. Like, I think I quarantined for, like, 90 days or something. Oh, my God. I gotta
1: ask, one of those girls being Sam Carey over here, what was that relationship kind of like? What were your first impressions of this one?
2: Sam, I honestly don't even remember what my first impression was. Um, She was in the dorms with us freshman year because she came in that semester early and she came in with one of my old club teammates. So that was kind of cool, too. Yeah, freshman year, I think we were just getting to know Sam like (laughs) she's she's a leader right off the bat and a very strong personality. And (laughs) I think sometimes people can be intimidated by that. But I think our personalities meshed very well together from the moment we met each other, just because I think we we share the same heart and passion and just drive for the sport and just in life. (laughs) And I mean, that just translates into everything in life. And so I think, I don't know, it is one of those things where you're like, how did we meet? Like, how did we become friends? And it's all a blur, but she's a friendship that I will always be grateful for that came out of Iowa. And that's like another one of those highs that we were talking about, just those relationships that last forever and then you know you're in each other's weddings and experiencing later life together it's just incredible and I'm so thankful for that <laughs> Monica Aww. I got a shout
0: out if we're gonna talk about our friendship I think the highlight of my friendship was in a game your fifth year my senior year so last year being very mad at you just because I could tell you couldn't get out of your head you couldn't reset and I'm on the field at Baylor I did just scream across the field Monica be an epic goldfish yeah
2: (laughs) and we would yell like trash can at each other (laughs) like we had some we like we're one in the same when it comes to training and just being obsessed with the game and so we would just always go do weird fun stuff at the field together and we just did this thing where we'd try to juggle and then get it into the trash can or whatever and then we're like we should use this like when we're on the field like we should yell trash can (laughs) at each other
1: (laughs) Naturally. That's the next step.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Naturally calling each other trash on the field is a good thing. And then of course our love for Ted Lasso. So there's a lot of fun, fun memories and inside jokes there.
0: (laughs) So you said it earlier in this podcast, but you always wanted to go pro and you always wanted to be a professional soccer player. Can you talk a bit about the fear in that process especially with having such an up and down college career you know what was taking that jump of leaving Iowa and looking into the beyond kind of like
2: yeah um there's for sure a lot of fear there (laughs) um especially playing up and down you know because you think about going into college and how it's all about you know playing games and getting seen and all these things and it's the same in college you know you're trying to get this film together, your highlights so that you can send it out and you want to have these games that you can also send out for coaches to see. And that's definitely a fear that I had towards the end was like, okay, with it being up and down, what do I have to show for myself? And that's definitely hard. And I, I don't know, like it's, (laughs) it's one of those things again, where you just have to trust that everything's going to fall into place and that what you've worked for will come into fruition when you're done at the end of the day and it did and it's hard because you have to take advantage of all the moments that you do have like when I was on the field I tried to treat every day like it was my last day that I was going to play and it's not just because you never know if you're going to get pulled but like even injury like You just never know what's ever going to happen. And so you have to treat every day like this could be my last practice. This could be my last game. And I want to go in and give everything that I have for my team. And every moment I had, I tried to utilize that. And even when I was a number two, my mentality was like, okay, I'm going to stay ready on the bench. Like stay like focused when you're on the bench, stay like know what's going on in the game, study your film. Like you always have to be ready for when your name is called so that you can go in there and have an impact. And so that's what I tried to do. And I mean, yeah, there is fear that, okay, how am I gonna get picked up if I don't have a big name for myself? But, you know, I I wasn't trying to worry about it because I knew that the passion and the work ethic and the resilience that I had in my heart I was gonna overcome all of that. And it did because it doesn't matter If you have a big name and you're one of the best and everyone knows you, it's just a matter of how hard you work to get to where you want to go. And I think that's something that I really controlled and I tried to utilize. um, And it ended up working out.
1: (laughs) As you're going through all these emotions with the process, can you talk a little bit about the logistics of it? How did you end up becoming a pro soccer player?
2: Yeah, for sure. So right when season ended is when – I started focusing on it because you always want to close out your season and stay completely focused on what you're doing in the tournaments, you know, postseason tournaments. Um, So right when our season ended, um, I found kind of an agent. So I was just going through the process of talking to people and who I'd want to work with to help represent me. And then I worked with my goalkeeper coach, um, Blair Quinn, he helped and put together a great highlight video of all the stuff that i had um throughout my career at iowa so we did that and then we kind of made um a cv so it's kind of like a player resume of just all of your stats and like your playing, like where you've played in college before college all of that and then you know you kind of just put it together and then your agent helps and you just reach out to as many teams as you can and I'd say one of the biggest things in anything you do really in life and any profession is building connections and networking with people because you might reach out to someone and they might not be able to help you, but maybe they know somebody that could help you or they know someone that knows someone. And that's just how life goes. It's all about connections. And so I'd say the biggest thing is building those connections because that's ultimately what led me to Iceland too, is my coach Blair knew this, other American coach who had just taken the job at Tinnestol and then randomly Blair goes recruiting and he sees this guy at the airport and they're catching up because they're friends and they're like oh my gosh like what are you up to man (laughs) and then this guy was like hey I just took a job in Iceland and we're looking for a goalkeeper like probably American and Blair's like funny you should say that (laughs) like I have a goalkeeper and so again it's one of those things that just kind of everything fell into place. And I think that's a huge thing of where my faith comes from too. Cause I think about how I got to Iowa and how I got to Iceland. I'm like, that couldn't have been anything other than God, like it working out like that. And so it was one of those things that just worked together. And I think there's also this dry period where not a lot's going on. And that's something that players have to realize and that's something that I'm kind of going through right now is like there's a period of months where teams don't know what they need yet and so you kind of freak out at first cuz you're like I'm not hearing anything like oh my gosh and then all of a sudden when the window opens up it's like okay like now we have offers now we have this so for those people that are going through the process it's okay just be patient <laughs> um it'll come but yeah it just it all worked out and I'm beyond blessed and grateful that it did <laughs>
1: Okay, so
0: you go from having a bit of a rocky, some might say college career, growing, loving the game, knowing you love the game, going pro, moving to Iceland, and out of the 2024 or 2023 draft class, you have the most professional minutes of anyone who applied for that draft. You get to Iceland, you play in every single game, you play 1,879 minutes of professional soccer in your rookie campaign. First of all, I'm beyond proud of you. But what would you say is one of the main differences in your opinion from college to professional soccer?
2: Yeah, that's a good question and one I got a lot actually. So it's kind of funny because when you graduate high school and you go into college, you're this baby freshman. And then when you graduate college and go into the pros, you're again a baby freshman, but now you're just a little bit older. And so it's kind of funny because you kind of go through those same transitions all over again. And so transitioning from the college game to the professional game, your mindset has to change again because now you're a professional and this is your job. This is your life. This is what you do. And that's also the mentality I had in college, but I just thought about it differently. And something that my coach Blair helped me with early on in college was owning your own development. And that's something that I had to learn early on, which I think helped prepare me in the professional game, because there isn't going to be anybody holding your hand through anything. And I'm not saying in college, that's necessarily what it is, but it is a bit more of a controlled environment in college. And so you kind of have to teach yourself how to think differently too. Like in college, I always thought, which I don't know if this is just me or not, but I was like, I have to like kill myself in every workout in order to feel like I got anything done. And like, you just, there's so many things that you have to change or it's like, oh, like I think I'm actually injured but I'm just going to keep playing through it like there's so many things that you have to sit back and be like okay I need to think more like a professional like if you see something in your game that needs to be worked on you have to be the one to go to your coach and be like hey I need to work on this can we schedule time if you have like weakness in, in an area of your body you need to go to your strength coach and be like hey like this is something that I need to get stronger in or go to your trainer and be like, Hey, like, this is something I need to work on. Or if you have pain, like you need to be the one that shows up 45 minutes to an hour early to do your prehab and your mobility and whatever else you need to do to prepare for training or the game or whatever it is, or even staying after to like do what you got to do to help your body. Like, that's what I mean by not, and nobody's holding your hands. Like you have to know because you know better than anyone else, what your body needs and what you need to develop even further in your career. And so I think that's one of the biggest things is it's more hands-off, I think, from like a staff point of view. And I think I noticed that too, like on the field, a lot of times the coaches, like, don't get me wrong, they they love to yell too, but they're very hands off where they want you to try to solve it yourself like problems because you're a professional and you need to figure out how to do it on your own and so I think that was a cool thing and something <laughs> that I even think is funny when I first got out there is I got cleated pretty bad like in my shin bone and it was like 10 degrees out so it makes it hurt even more and I just got cleated right into the shin and you know, for the first couple of weeks, like I was in so much pain and I just kept playing through it and playing through it. And my coach came up to me and he kind of put his arm around me. He was like, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Like if you need to take a day off, like you can do that. And I was like, what do you mean? Like We don't do that in America. (laughs) Like, What do you mean? And so I think just retraining my brain, like, okay, if my body's telling me I need to do something different, like I can't ignore it anymore. Like this is my job and I need to think more professionally. Like if you need the day, you need to take the day. (laughs) And that's just, I don't know, something that I had to learn and a transition that I had to make in the professional game. And It was a little different than the college mindset that I had, if that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So going along with that now, what is kind of like a day in the life of a professional soccer player look like? We've talked a little bit about college and everything, but taking that next step, what's your day-to-day, day-to-day life?
2: Yeah, I think it depends heavily on where you go because everybody does it differently. For us, we would get up in the morning and we would actually, I lived in a small town. It was only like 2000 people. And so it was (laughs) literally in the middle of nowhere in north northern iceland (laughs) and but i loved it so much and so we would get up and we would help like work in the morning so we would work like maintenance on the field and we would just help around the community because that's what they do like they just have such a love for each other that everyone just wants to help each other and so we would get up and work for a few hours have lunch together we would get lunch like fed to us so we would all meet meet up have lunch And then your whole afternoon is kind of devoted to training and doing what you need to do. So most of us would go to the gym and do our gym work. And then we'd be there for a few hours because you do your gym work and then you're getting ready for practice. Then you're doing like your prehab work and all that. And then we would train in the evening. And so we would have, depending on the week, if it was like a game week or it just depends, we would have film beforehand. So then we'd go over film and then head out to train. And that also varied just like it does in college, depending on what the load is for the week. So then we train. And then after training, we would maybe have another meeting. It just depends. And then you kind of just head home and make dinner, hang out with your friends. Like (laughs) it's pretty, it's pretty laid back, but you just have to, like I said, own your own development development and know what you got to do. Like if you have to get into the physio Or the trainer do that kind of thing. You have to add that in your schedule. If you do extra work, like you add that in, it just kind of depends on what your what's in your schedule and what you need personally. And now, as you kind
1: of look at all of your all that you have accomplished in your life going forward, what are kind of your next steps? What's what's next for you?
2: Yeah, so that's kind of the piece of trying to live in the moment while also thinking about what's next and so i just finished my season with tennesol and we ended up staying up in the top division which was huge for us being that before that they had gone down and then gone back up so this was the first time they stayed up which was awesome um so right now i'm just trying to think about what's best for my career whether that's going back and playing another season in iceland or You know, trying to play elsewhere throughout Europe, it's kind of just whatever opportunities present itself in the next few months. I think it's important as a young goalkeeper to play as many minutes as I can, and playing a full 90 is very important just because most of how goalkeepers grow comes from experience. (laughs) And so I think that's my main focus right now is just going where I can continue to develop by playing 90 minutes and just being in a good competitive environment that can help me grow so that, you know, I can keep taking steps because my ultimate goal is to play at the highest level that I possibly can. Um, But again, it's a process and I'm just trying to enjoy it until we get there.
0: (laughs) So a lot of younger players listen to this podcast and one question I know I've gotten asked a lot that I had circled was a perfect question for you is for a goalkeeper. You know, we kind of talked about this early on. How do you not blame yourself when you lose in a lot of different ways? How do you reset after that goal goes in or how do you correct those mistakes? Cause they are often more glorified and talked about when a goalkeeper makes them.
2: Mm -hmm. That's a really hard question. Um, And I think that's something that goalkeepers will forever fight with is just blaming yourself because it's kind of a toxic trait where you think you can save everything, but the goal is just too big and you can't, (laughs) it's hard to say like black and white, what to do to not blame yourself but I mean there are things to help and one thing I'd say that's the most important as a goalkeeper is you have to have that short memory you know that goldfish memory because something I struggled with growing up was I would let you know a mistake or a goal affect how I was thinking and then it would spiral into another mistake or another goal and you just can't let that happen and that goes for even field players too like you guys everyone has to forget about it and move on and so I mean that's just something that I've had to grow and work through growing up was having that short memory and knowing that it takes a team like it's not just you back there like it takes everybody and it goes through 10 other players before it gets to you and I don't know I just I have to remind myself okay like do the best that you can and if you do everything that you could in that play sometimes you just have to tip your hat to the shooter and be like okay that was a good a good shot like there's nothing you can do or sometimes if you're just left out to dry like there's somebody sitting on the back post and they tap it in like there's nothing you can do like you can do your best and sometimes you pull out these saves that are incredible but goalkeeping is about saving what you're supposed to save and sometimes saving the ones you're not supposed to save (laughs) and I mean that's that's really all I can say is you have to just move on and focus on the next one. And if it's one goal, don't make it two. If it's five, don't make it six. (laughs) Like, just focus on that and take the game minute by minute, shot by shot, and you'll be just fine.
1: (laughs) Great advice for anyone else looking to kind of start this process and start their own journey. Do you have any advice for them?
2: Yeah, I would say. Like, do you mean going professional out of the college game or just like young kids that are dreaming to play pro? Or what do you mean by that?
1: Um, both, I guess. You got two pieces of advice for us.
2: <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, this is kind of a cliche, but you just can't give up on yourself. Like, no matter what happens throughout the process of your career, if you have a dream to do something you need to stick to it because it is so easy to back out of it and to just be like okay I've worked so hard and it's not coming it's not coming and it's the easy road is to say okay I'm done and I'm gonna just I'm sick of this pain and I'm sick of it but I promise you there is so much glory to come if you just keep pushing and you keep working at what you want like There's light on the other side and you'll get there. Um, I think for college players, just be patient too. like, it's also a process to find a team. But women's soccer is growing so much in our world, which is incredible to see. And there's a team out there for you. It's just about being patient. So you just got to do what you got to do while you're waiting, you know, you know, you have to be in the gym and you have to do your training and all of that, like just stay on top of it and just have as much faith as you can that it's going to work out. That's the biggest thing I can say is never stop believing in what you believe for yourself.
0: I think that's the biggest thing that I wanted Monica to say and wanted our listeners to get out of this podcast is I have never seen anyone bet on themselves like Monica Wilhelm. And, you know, being the underdog to finally get to college, even though she was, you know, the late signee and then being the person that wasn't always and sometimes not even the starting goalkeeper and now being a badass professional soccer player, you know, no one bet on themselves like Monica Wilhelm. And I think that that lesson inspired me in so many ways has inspired the Iowa soccer program in so many ways. And it's just something like, if you have a dream, you can do it. And that sounds so cliche, but it's so true. And I don't know that many people fully understand that until they hear a story like yours. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing it.
2: Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: <laughs> really, thank you. It's been a it's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you guys.
0: Hey, be a seal. Monica, once again, we cannot thank you enough for sharing all of those incredible words. I mean, Jordan and I joked and like we talked for a couple minutes after we recorded, we're like, Sh- we should have left it going because she was just dropping words of wisdom on us. I was like, this is unreal.
1: I know. For nothing else than for me to replay to myself at night. I mean, some serious poetry you were giving us. I was really upset that we didn't have the record record button still going because I mean, everything was just such amazing advice. And I really hope that, anyone listening is able to take away some words of wisdom from her because incredible, incredible story.
0: Yeah. And one thing I really want to echo about Mon that once again, I don't know, always got dove into in the interview is during her time when she was being replaced and when she was, you know, not always, you know, the number one and living her dream, she was always the ultimate teammate. That was all that anyone in the Iowa soccer program could describe her as she put her team first always she was never a selfish person she never thought about herself in a setting where she could think about the team and it was always you know she may be going something but she had her arms open for when I was going through something completely different and she never looked at me for talking about playtime or whatever when she wasn't having that and you know there's so many selfless people I think we all can think of on our roster that do that role for us and when people ask about how you have a role when you're not playing monica is my answer and so it's just it's a really unique personality and a way to do it and it's something that people like that don't get enough credit and don't get talked about enough and it's absolutely remarkable
1: amazing guest, thank you so much for coming on really appreciate it monica
0: all right well we are headed to clemson university to play georgia at 1 p.m central time on friday jordan i know you play thursday when's your kick give us the harvard rundown
1: Oh, goodness. Um, there is a time change. So I'm not positive. I think it's six o'clock here. So four o'clock in Utah time. That sounds right. Jordan is headed to the West Coast. Time TBD. <laughs> Un momento, guys. Yeah, okay. I, I don't game. know. We play them at six, but I think that's six Michigan time. So four o'clock BYU time.
0: All right, well, watch the rundown. We got Harvard-Michigan State on Thursday. Iowa, Georgia, round of 32. We'll make some history. Be back next week. We'll talk all things round of 32 and Sweet 16, hopefully. Bye, guys. Bye.